Mason Hill. What's going on, guys? Cole, how are you? I'm doing swell. How are you, man? I'm doing uh, I'm doing really good. We're recording this a couple days before the Super Bowl, so I'm a little bit nervous. Um, but praise God. God's a Buccaneers fan. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're going to we're gonna have to wait to see about that one. But uh, who, yeah, we'll who do we have? We'll find out Sunday, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, so. so- <laughs> no, today we have Shane Sanchez. Um, Shane is the Gwinnett Church Inside Out Director, and he previously was the Youth Director for Anthem Youth of Mission Community Church in Arizona. Mm. Shane has four kids and just recently had his fourth. Let's go. Uh, well, not him. His wife, Heather, <laughs> who is wonderful, uh, had his their fourth kid, which is their first girl. So yeah. congrats to the Sanchez family. Yeah, Shane was our GCIO director uh, our senior year when we were in high school. He was one of the first people uh, when we started this podcast that we knew we wanted to have on. So, pumped to, pumped to finally do it. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get into it. Let's hop into it. I mean, we can get you. We can get you some merch coming your way. There you go. We'll see this Sunday. Like, hit me up if they win. That's right. ideal. No deal. Sure. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, so we can kind of jump into the questions that we have written out. Like, I know we were just talking about Arizona, but what's like the biggest difference in Arizona and Gwinnett, Georgia? Oh man, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, culture. Culture is the biggest difference. Um. From the, so there's this thing that like bothers me about those of us that are from Arizona, including myself is like, we sometimes act as though we're from the West coast, but we're not from the West coast. Um, we are the Southwest. So in Phoenix, it was the Southwest. Like we want to act like we're from the West coast because Southern California is so cool. Um, mm-hmm. But, but they're dynamically different. So um, there was no real urban culture whatsoever. And what I mean by that is like, the city of Phoenix is one giant suburb. And even though Gwinnett is in the suburbs, um, there's such a strong urban city culture in Atlanta that exists and kind of permeates that. Yes, it's different. Um, but, but I, I see some of that, like in Gwinnett County, you know, depending on where you are here, you can go to Duluth and you get a little bit of a vibe of like, there's different, there's different like multi-ethnic cultures and races that are expressed and different foods you can eat and languages as you drive. Um, and it, and it wasn't like that in Phoenix, like Phoenix is, um, demographically much different, especially where I was and the vibe from the clothes people wear to the foods that they're into, um, were so different. So I know that all sounds like very superficial, but, when you grew up in Phoenix, like I did, um, and that's what you're used to, like, that was, that was my world. Like that was from Mm -hmm. age seven to 29. Um, that was what I experienced. So coming here, like there was the, the rich, like Southern culture of hospitality. I feel like we experienced that. I feel like the people were incredibly warm here. Um, like as soon as we got here, even before we got here. Um, and then as we've spent some time here, it's just, it, it is like people are, are people, but when it comes to certain brands that people are into or food that they prefer, or 
you know, even going to the park here, one of the amazing things is like, you'll hear multiple languages in a park. And I'm not, as you said, I'm not saying Phoenix is diversifying for sure, but that's a really powerful gift. I think that Gwinnett County has that not everywhere else in, in the, the world, or at least in the U S does. So those are the things that have jumped out to me. Like, I, I think at least within this first year or so that we've been here. That's awesome. Where's the better weather? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, Cole. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I actually like it here. So somebody else asked me this this morning and I was like, Phoenix, you can't go outside in the summer. Like we've got, I've got kids and oh, well, we've got them and they're, they're not just mine. My wife um, played the major role in bringing them into the world. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I know. I think most of your listeners are in college. So you know that it is not an easy process to deliver a child. That was my wife, not me. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it here. I like the seasons. Like, I don't know for those that have grown up here in the Southeast um, that are listening to this, maybe you take that for granted, but I'm like, Oh, it's beautiful. Like there's actual beauty. Like I'm reminded of the, the, the grand creativity of God, like living here where there's different seasons and the, the, you know, the rain falls and the leaves change and maybe we'll get a day of snow. Like there is something really beautiful about that, but you know, you also can't beat 75 and sunny in December, which is, which is what it'll typically be in Phoenix. So. I was going to say, that was really, that was really brave of you to say that today when it's like 20 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I, I, I don't know if this is like, I'm getting old or what, but I told Heather at some point over the last year, I was like, I like when it's cold because it makes me feel alive, which like, I, I said it like, like Nicholas Cage, I guess. but I do. I'm like, when it's cold, I walk outside. I'm like, I feel alive. Like you can see so the air and feel it. I don't know what's happening to me, man. Maybe it's a southern so, thing. Um, so moving here, is there a big difference in like the church culture uh, in Georgia than there was in Arizona? Yeah, um, to an extent for sure. So you know, the, the one thing, well, at least outside of Georgia, if you if you are from this area, um, you, you may not be used to hearing it called the Bible Belt, or maybe you are, but that is the perception outside of here of like, Oh, it's a Bible belt. Everybody goes to church and this and that. Um, and I think I was surprised to find that that's not necessarily the case. Like as much as I think the South gets this rep for being like, yeah, you know, um, every there's a church in every corner and everybody's a part of church. Um, my guess is that it's probably just changed a lot over the last couple decades um, as culture in the United States has changed drastically. So so there were there are differences. I think um, when it comes like church to church thing, the the network of churches in Arizona, from my perception, is a very close, like tight knit group of churches. And I don't know if this is necessarily Arizona to Georgia thing, or if this is like coming now to a multi campus church. So I was at a church that that was one church in one location in Arizona. So we're closely connected within our network of churches. But, you know, like we know Passion's down the street and, you know, we know Hillsong Atlanta's coming and we know 12 Stone's not far and Free Chapel's right there. But every expression feels so dynamically different. And in Arizona, yes, that does exist. But again, this is my opinion and perception that when you look at most of the major churches in Arizona, they've got like pretty similar vibes to them, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's like, I don't know that that's even necessarily like a good or a bad thing or anywhere in between, but those are the dynamic differences that I've felt within church culture in the two mm -hmm. places. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Shane, you've been in ministry for uh, multiple years. Uh, tell us when you realized God was calling you into ministry. 
Oh, yeah. That's a great <laughs> question. Um, so it was senior year of high school, actually. Hmm. Um, I, I was supposed to be a major league baseball player, Cole. I was going to be in the hall of fame. <laughs> you would have had my Jersey by now. Like, come on, man. Um, big, big D backs player. Yeah. I mean, 30, I'm 30 years old now. So I would have been like close to retirement, like sunset. <laughs> Heather and I would have moved to Bora Bora and who knows? <laughs> I don't even know where Bora Bora is. I couldn't pick it out on that, but, um, I've heard it's nice. Uh, but it was senior high school. So <laughs> I, I actually, I did something really dumb um, and I got caught doing it by my parents. And it was just, it was like this really awkward moment because I grew up in church, but mm-hmm. all, all through high school for sure. Like, yes, it matters to me, but I, I wasn't really walking the talk, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I carried that through high school and like there was a conflict and, you know, there was the conviction connected to all of that. But I, I mean, I, I had a good time. Like it was fun. And, you know, from relationships to parties to sports and all of those things, it was like, I embraced that, you know, not too over the top, but enough. Mm-hmm. And then senior year came around and um, I got caught in the midst of something that just, this, it, it just wasn't smart and something I knew better than to be involved in and doing. And when that happened, I, immediately it was like the next day i remember being in the hallway of the house that i grew up in and i don't think anybody was home my parents were probably at work or something and like falling to my knees in front of jesus and going hey like i need you like this isn't the this isn't the path that i'm supposed to be going on like i mm-hmm. i know better than this but not only do i know better i now um i now know that this route that i'm going down does not lead to the kind of life that I desire. Like it was really mm-hmm. one of those big, like life-changing watershed moments. And then it was shortly after that. So that happened. And then um, it was actually at a winter camp. Like not everybody has this like call moment, but I, I just started to have this sense of like, huh, I think maybe youth ministry is, is a thing. Like maybe God is, is drawing me toward that. Like I want to be more involved in church. I want to be more involved in this. And I had been like volunteering and all of that in churches for pretty much my whole life. But I gave my first talk um, ever as a senior in high school at a winter camp um, for the youth ministry that I grew up at. And that was a pretty significant moment. Like, I don't know what it was about that. I think that also mixed with the voices of some significant mentors in my life at the time. And then just a sense in, in my conversation and my relationship with God that like youth ministry was something worth stepping into. So it was at that time where I was like, okay, I'm going to explore this. Like, it wasn't like, okay, watershed, like this is it. I need Mm -hmm. to go. And it's going to, I know how it's going to work out. It was like, I think I need to explore this. So I made the decision. I actually called a school in California that I was going to go play baseball at. And I actually told them, no, Hey, I'm not going to come. I decided to stay closer to home, um, change my degree path and all of that. So to, to go into ministry and then started down that road. And I want to say that I haven't looked back since, but that's not the case either. Like mm-hmm. it was so, I was so confident in that right out of high school. But then even a few years after high school, I wanted to be a talent manager. Like my wife, Heather and I, we were planning to move to Los Angeles. Like I even was studying to get into law school, like mm-hmm. all of these different things. I was working in baseball at the time for the, uh, for the Diamondbacks and thought life would go a different way. And then I had another moment in uh, 2013 where an opportunity came up. I got a phone call one day and it was from a junior high pastor at the church that I was a part of in Arizona at the time. And he's like, Hey, I know you're moving to LA. 
and all of that. But we've got a temporary role. I'd love for you because you have ministry experience, like step into this mm. and do it. And I was like, okay. And from then on, I haven't looked back. <laughs> like it, mm. that, that feels like the moment where God kind of grabbed me and went, Hey, you know, that thing that I called you to, um, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You should do that. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It became very clear at, at that yeah. point. Yeah. That's so good. I, you mentioned like you had some mentors that were really influential on you. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you met them, who they were? Yeah. Um, so I, here, so here's what's unique and I almost hesitate to say this, but it's not, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's just part of my story. So I've actually wrestled with this. One of the hardest things for me is that um, pretty much all the mentors that I've had, at least early on in ministry, were all involved in situations that like wound up really hurting the churches that they were a part of, like um, from moral failures to church splits to different things like that. Um, that as somebody who looked up to and respected these people so much, it, it was really difficult to watch um, things fall apart and, and to learn things about people that had been hidden and all of that, which like, here's the thing about it is like, I gained, I feel like I gained so much positive um, wisdom and knowledge from those people. But what's unique in my experience with mentors early on in ministry is that I also learned a lot of things not to do from them as well, which I know is the case probably with any mentor, like any good mentor. Um, I just don't know that it was intentional that I learned those Mm -hmm. lessons. Um, So there were, there were a few different people early on in ministry that were really formative and, help me understand, okay, how do you learn the ins and outs of ministry? How do you pursue these things? What books should you be reading? What, like we, we um, used to read blogs a lot. So what blogs you need to be reading and like podcasts to listen to and all of that. And then like had somebody that was like really formative, the way that he communicated as a preacher was like just powerful and such a great example and all of these things. But you know, um, people are, people are flawed and we all have, um, our things. And so as those things unraveled, it was really difficult to reconcile. And at times I was even like, God, why does this keep happening? Because it happened at the church that I was a part of in Arizona too, um, years ago, um, before we got a lead pastor there that I'll tell you about in just a second. Um, our lead pastor at the time, uh, was involved in, in, um, extramarital affairs and it was really difficult in the church. And that was another person that I looked up to so, so much. So it was like another situation of like, what is like, what am I like, how does this work? And is it possible to keep good character and be, you know, in ministry and all these things? Um, All of that to get to the point of, I think the most significant mentor in my life up until this point has been um, the, the lead pastor, he's still currently out in Arizona at Mission. Um, and he actually used to be in our network at North Point Community Church. His name is Joel Thomas. Um, he was my lead pastor out in Arizona and is somebody who gave me more opportunity than I deserved or was ready mm-hmm. for. And then allowed me to fail along the way, but didn't leave me in the failure, picked me up and helped me move forward and learn from those things. He was somebody who modeled what it meant to be a great father and a great husband first Um, And I've always respected him for that and continue to. Um, And he was somebody who invested in me personally. Um, He was there from being one of the first people to hold some of our our kids that we had in Arizona to Mm. being somebody who was there um, in some of the lowest points of, you know, my personal life and journey. Um, That's been somebody that I'm like, gosh, that's a mentor who is of the highest character, but Mm. also 
ran into my life and leaned into my life unlike most people I've I've been around before. So yeah, that's kind of my journey with mentorship. How did he like step into that role in your life? Was that something you asked for or did it kind of naturally happen? Well, I think for me, it was interesting because I was on staff at at the church when he came out from Atlanta. So all that other stuff happened, you know, with our old lead pastor at mission and all the difficulty in the church, we went a year without a lead pastor and then he came out and stepped into it. And he was just so supportive and encouraging to me right out of the gate. Like I remember um, he was like, I think he was out interviewing and he walked in, I was a junior high pastor at the time. He walked in the environment and heard me giving a talk and, and like went out of his way to like, just build me up after that. Like, and, and, and then I remember the very first time I ever spoke in adult services, he asked me to give that very same talk that he heard when he was on that. Like, so it was just this journey of like, I don't know that I ever explicitly said, Hey, it was just a relationship that picked up. Mm -hmm. He was our lead pastor at the time, but I wanted his wisdom. If that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't ever going to do the weird, not, I, I don't know. That sounds, that sounds bad. I, I've heard it called, like the weird, like, <laughs> Hey, will you be my mentor? Like, yeah, yeah. I, that sounds terrible. I'm not knocking that. Although I've, I've heard people say it's not a good idea. And I <laughs> agree with that. It turned into the more like, Hey, can we go grab lunch? Like, Hey, I've mm -hmm. got some questions for you. Can I ask you, Hey, would you give me feedback on this? Hey, would you listen mm -hmm. to this talk that I gave and let me know what your perspective is? And out of that, a relationship is built and it turns into a mentorship and you may not even realize it, you know, like, I'm not even mm -hmm. sure if either of us realized it, but like, he's somebody I would consider like a, like almost like a, I'll call him an uncle in the faith because he mm -hmm. probably, he'd probably get mad at me if I called him a father. Cause he's not old <laughs> enough, my, my father, but, but yeah, yeah, that's been big for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little about like your transition from Arizona to Gwinnett. Like how was that? And like, what voices did you have to speak in to like guide you through that? Cole Henderson's voice. Yes. Right. <laughs> sure. right. I want you to tell me how it was, man. You're the one who experienced the other side <laughs> no, of it. You've it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got better perspective than I do. Um, no, but seriously. So it was, um, it was like, <laughs> it was a great first like three or four months. And then we entered this thing called COVID-19. So yes. I'll, I'll talk about those first few months. Like the, the transition right out of the gate was, um, was really great. Like felt so welcome. Like I joke about you, Cole, but like, you know, you and the other interns at the time, our staff team here, like your family, Cole, and um, um, some of the other families uh, that, that were involved here at Gwinnett church. Like we were so, we felt so loved coming here, which was such a gift. Now, I think that's a big testament to the culture that existed of Gwinnett Church, the culture um, that, that, um, that, that Jeff created, um, Jeff Henderson, in case you're wondering. He's related. Know what you're for. Uh, yeah. yeah I <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to be like the weird, like, yes, I know he's related to you. So, uh, but um, <laughs> the one and only Jeff Henderson, for real, I think, um, like that was a culture he had created and it was a culture of warmth that we were welcomed into. So the, it, it made that transition so much easier. Like a cross country move is not something we had done before. So we had no idea what to expect, but I mean, from the day we showed up, it was like we were family and that was a gift. And I don't think that that's something that most people, um, again, it's a guess, but I, I just would be surprised if most, most people got to have that experience, but we were, yeah, we were brought in as though we were family and that was so good. Like, and not just for me. I mean, I, I, it, it's gotta be harder on a spouse, like for my wife, like I get to come to work every day and build relationships. You know, we've got people that we're hanging out with in the office and all of that, but 
for my wife to be home with three little ones at the time um, to be welcomed in and celebrated and loved as though we were family made all the difference in the world. Um, and first impressions matter a lot. And I think set the tone. So it was knocked out of the park for us, which we're so grateful for. That's awesome. I remember, How, I remember, I'm sorry. I remember after one of like Shane's first messages, he came out there and like me and JB were sitting there and Shane started doing the renegade with us. And this was like when the renegade oh, was yeah. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is like, this guy's kind of sick. God, I remember that. Dude, I remember that. I, I still don't, I still don't know those dances. I really like the Corvette, Corvette, Corvette dance, dude. That's no, I, I can you do it for us? No, this is a podcast, Cole. I'm not going to embarrass myself. <laughs> hey, we want transparency, man. Oh, Juju, man. So he did it. I'm like, that's oh, cool. I can learn that dance. <laughs> Juju, Juju stinks. That came around oh, him pretty oh, hard. No. Oh, no. Poor Juju. So, we know that like you've been at Gwinnett for about a year now uh, and we heard about like the high points, but is it challenging to like step into an environment where people have been on staff there for a long time and now you have to lead them? Like, what is that like? How did you, how did you navigate that? Yeah. Um, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think it's challenging no matter what. Um, I, th- I think, I, yeah, I think to add a pandemic to it and <laughs> yeah, um, and then like we've had leadership transition at Gwinnett Church over the past year plus. Um, it's been a wild ride, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the first the, the, the thing that was hardest from my perspective is only really having three and a half months to build strong relationships and then be mm-hmm. thrust into legitimate crisis um, with the pandemic. So that's been really difficult. And, and you know, that's something that we're continuing, like we're, we're intentionally, um, leaning into, uh, really fostering our relationships right now and, um, making sure that as every, I think every staff team and every church is probably, you know, feels in some way, making sure that we emerge from 2020, not, not divided, but, but more united as, Mm -hmm. as a team. So, um, so I, I would say that, you know, you, you mentioned the low points, the low points are just, the uncontrollable factors that were this past year. I imagine the transition and I imagine coming to Gwinnett church in a new place being significantly different than they were, but it's not just because I had all these expectations. It's just, nobody could have expected what happened this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that was just a difficult thing to navigate and everybody went through it and everybody on our team felt different things personally or had, uh, were connected to people that were affected differently by the pandemic and all of that stuff. So, um, I feel like there were really difficult things for us to go through, but my hope and my, my belief is as we're entering 2021, that those are things that we'll look back on and hopefully we'll, we'll build our bond or hopefully we'll have created more resilience in us as a team. And I'm really hopeful for what's ahead uh, in this year. Cause I, I really feel like um, our, you know, our, our church and our, and our team specifically are heading in a really, really healthy direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to honor you in that because I had the privilege of like working under you as you came in and during like when COVID was at its peak and we were shutting down, like you did a terrific job at just leading from a point of stepping in and being like the new kid on the block, but then also having to lead through a pandemic, like you did it best. So thanks dude. Thanks for saying that. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. Who was a better intern, Cole or Parker? (laughs) oh jessica uh jessica mckenzie yeah no they were every they were all great i miss them so much no seriously um 
yeah that that's that has been one of the biggest gifts in coming here like not not just the interns but like the students like right out of the gate you mentioned that first Sunday but I remember our I think it was our very first Sunday here and Heather and I stood out in the lobby after we were introduced to everybody and just like we were blown away by the students by like Mm -hmm. by your all's friends and like the groups that came up to us like that was part of the warmth that I'm describing here. And I think that's the tone, like that's the, the tone that, that of culture that people like that, you know, people like Jeff and Wendy created people like Lauren created people like Kristen Franklin create like the, the people that in Al Kazi who, who really started up this whole thing called Gwinnett church. Like it was, it was alive in the next generation. Like it was, it is alive in high schoolers and we got to feel it right out of the gate. So that was a huge gift. I'll never forget that first Sunday. And like the amount of students who came up to us and like, just expressed to us, like, we're so glad you're here and we're so excited. And, you know, we've been waiting for, you know, you all to be here. And like, we were, we just went home and we're like, like shook in the best ways of like, oh my gosh, like these people are so loving and so warm and so like for us. And that was a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. You also like um, I, I skirted around that, not having to answer whether or not it was. No, no. <laughs> no, that was that was an amazing answer. That was an amazing answer. Was there anything that was challenging that you didn't expect that you had to deal with when you moved here? <laughs> oh, everything. besides besides the pandemic. Yeah, besides everything pandemic. from twenty twenty. Um, yeah. You know, I think one of the things that that's unique here, and that I'm still trying to learn, like, so if we are, you know, we're creating churches that unchurched people love to attend, which like, we're, you know, talking all that language. Like that's been the language that has existed in the North point churches for a long time. But like, at the end of the day, we're really passionate about reaching people who are unchurched, who are de-churched or far from God or, or, you know, how, whatever language you would use to describe that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it harder here at times to detect who that is than it was in Phoenix. Like in Phoenix, it was so like explicit. Like if you weren't about church or about faith or about organized religion, or if you were agnostic or atheist, like you kind of wore it on your shoulder to an extent, like it was pretty Mm -hmm. obvious. And although here, I think depending on, you know, I think, I feel like the further you go into the city, the, the more that culture, you know, is, is apparent and just talked about. I do wonder if that is still some of the remnant of that Bible belt culture that's described. And that mm-hmm. at times feels harder. Like it's harder to gauge like, okay, like who are insiders and who are people that are just showing up and maybe like they're showing up because they feel like they have to, or they're obligated or, you know, their parents did and their grandparents did, or, you know, whoever else, somebody yeah. in their life, their guardians or whoever versus like the clear culture of like, yes, church is important, or I could absolutely care less of this. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more gray area. It feels like here. And I think that's going to change probably as generations continue to grow up and, um, you know, the generational shifts that are occurring. But that is one of the things that has stuck out to me the most as Mm -hmm. a major difference, like in students here is going, okay, how can we really, really make sure that we're reaching unchurched students? Cause they are here and my perception is it might actually be harder for identify for us to identify who they are mm-hmm. in this community. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes yeah, total totally. sense. How do you balance like forming relationships with the people who come every Sunday and are bought in, but then also having relationship with those who are like unchurched and come once or come twice? Yeah. Cause even like in college now, I know it's something that 
a lot of my friends and I are navigating where it's like, absolutely. Like we want to make everybody feel welcome. And exactly like you said, I mean, the North point statement is a church for unchurched people. So how do you balance that, but continuing to offer, uh, to offer depth and solid food to the people who continue to come? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not easy, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a worthy pursuit. Um, so I, I really believe a lot in personal ministry. Like mm-hmm. I think small groups are the most important thing that we do. And a small group environment should be the type of environment where um, a student who, you know, doesn't know Jesus from Jesse to a student who grew up going to church as a, or was born in the local church. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they should all have a place to belong and to fit in regardless of how much like biblical knowledge you have or how much like everybody should be able to take steps forward in that. And I think that that's key. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I believe that personally in like my own life as well. I want to go out of my way when a new student walks in, or if I encounter a new student on a campus or in a basketball game or whatever else Mm -hmm. to like, like just be chill, like just say, Hey, and like connect, like you're a person. I'm not, I'm not a salesman. I'm not a used car salesman. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus is he's 49. (laughs) Like I'm not doing that. Like, like that's just so cheesy. And I think those days, the, there's the the days of that as an approach are just just fading because it, it's not the the next generation I think sees through the ulterior motive now mm. having said that we do have a motivation like mm-hmm. that's the part that I'm like we 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 do have somewhat of an agenda right like and and that sounds so weird but like we say but our agenda is a, an agenda of love it's not an agenda of knowledge it's not an agenda of like okay make sure you're not doing this and not doing this and not doing this like those are the outflows of a life transformed by the love of Jesus through, that was exemplified in his death and his resurrection. So that's where I'm like, yeah, when I encounter a new student, my agenda is to show them that they're loved by people, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what their reputation is at their school, regardless of what's going on at home, like right now where you are, you're loved. Now for somebody who, you know, it has been around a little longer, you'd consider an insider. Um, you start having more of those, you know, for lack of a better term, deeper conversations where you are probably challenging on some things or asking some tough questions or diving in and going, Hey, this is the way that Jesus laid out. Like, are our lives looking like that? You know, mm-hmm. like, let's do this together now for, but for somebody who's there, like who, who who's just starting out in the faith, I can't look and go, well, you know, uh, this is your second week in church. So you need to you stop, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking. You need like, what? Like who don't know? That's not, that's not, that's right. not how this works. And I'm not, I'm not, um, harping on either of those two things. So like <laughs> hear, hear me in that, but that I'm just talking about like the way that we used to think about things or the way that I experienced it growing up when it came to church. So I think, I think we just got to meet people where they are. And for new students, we got to love them really, really well and not, not, not cause their, behavior to have to be a prerequisite for their um, a belonging as yeah. a part of the local church. Does that make sense? No, that's amazing. That makes total sense. I mean, we kind of talked about it. I know Cole and I did in the last episode, but it's like, there's like, there seems to be like a biblical progression for people in church where it's like first grace, then faith, then works. Yeah. And I think that's what you were just talking about right there. It's like, if somebody's only been here for a week, you can't, you know, beat over the head with a Bible and tell them they're not mm-hmm. acting good enough because yeah. they're just trying to grow in their faith and accept that grace even more. Well, yeah. And, um, and the, the guy that I talked about earlier, Joel, um, kind of 
impressed this on me, this idea that Jesus, one of the first things he did was ask people to follow him. And we talk about like nowadays, and I'm speaking the generality, but you hear that term follow Jesus often. And it's like, that expression is like this sold out. I'm, I'm changing the way that I I'm changing my spending habits. I'm changing my yeah. uh, sexual behaviors. I'm changing the way that I party. I'm changing all of these, all of these things. Cause I'm following Jesus. And when Jesus first said, follow me, he wasn't even, I mean, they weren't even believers at that point. Like some of the people mm -hmm. that he invited to follow him were skeptics. They weren't sure, but they saw something in him that was worth following. And then, I mean, this was pre-resurrection. And then when they saw him back to life again after the resurrection, it's like, oh my gosh, like he is, he is God in flesh. So sometimes we, I think we almost, we almost attach, um, too many prerequisites to the idea of followership. And in that, I wonder if people get lost or fall through the cracks because they look and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You need me to do a complete 180 with my life before I can even start having conversations about Jesus. Right. Like I, I, that, that's a huge leap when, it, and when, when Jesus didn't necessarily start there, he started yeah. with, Hey, come follow me. And I'm going to show you a way of life that is life and life to the full. Um, and I think we, as, as his people need to do the same. So all of that to say, now I, I feel like that could get, there, there could, the, the criticism I could hear to what I just said is this idea like, well, we have to hold up truth and we need to be on it. And I, I agree with that entirely. Like, I think truth is incredibly important, but Jesus embodied both grace and truth. And he held them in this beautiful balance. And yes, we're human, but we need to do our best to do those things. Uh, Andy Stanley talks about it. And in, in these terms, I've heard him say, we need to acknowledge uh, 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 what's real, um, but point to what's ideal. And I think that's the key as we're trying to engage people who are skeptics or who are unchurched or de-churched or whatever else and going, hey, we're going to meet you where you are and we love you. And, and hopefully we're going to live in ways and teach in ways and come alongside you in ways that point you to the way of Jesus that is truly better than mm -hmm. anything else. Dude, that was, I wish I could like, you know how pastors now it's like drop a fire in the chat. I should have just done that. <laughs> Put it in the chat. Put it in the chat. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's so funny. All right. So we don't, we don't want to take up too much of your time. So we got one more question. Um, I know a lot of people who listen to this like are looking at ministry as a possibility. Um, and that's like the reason Cole and I started this. Um, so what is like, if you could give one tip to college students looking to go into ministry, mm. what would that be? Yeah. Um, I was listening to uh, Irwin McManus, who's a pastor out at Mosaic um, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, they, they've been going through this thing where they're, kind of like hitting his like top hit sermons, which is funny, mm. but, but he did this one last weekend that I'd heard before. And it's all about like ambition and godly ambition. Um, and it really goes to, you know, James and John, the sons of, of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. They have that moment um, where, where their, where their mommy comes to Jesus and says, Hey, can my boys sit at your right hand in your kingdom? Um, and he's like, can they drink the cup that I'm, you know, about to drink? And she's like, of course they can. And it's this awkward thing. And the other disciples get all mad and whatever. And the whole reason that situation played out is because they had a misunderstanding of what it meant to be great. To them, greatness was a position. It was a platform. It was a seat of honor. And it's through that whole dialogue and that story where Jesus is like, no, 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 no. 
Um, the greatest among you are the ones who serve. Like if you want to be great, you be a servant of all people. And um, I think that that's key as we, as we talk about entering ministry, like, especially in this day and age when like social media is so big and platforms so big, and you want to have this YouTube following of, you know, a million plus subscribers. Like I'm not knocking any of those things, but that is not the goal of ministry. It's just not. And like, that was really emerging when I was entering this thing. So I had to wrestle with that. And, and my, my wife has called me out on it. Like, oh yeah. Like in your early twenties, like that's totally what you wanted to do. And it took me a long time to like admit like, oh yeah, I think that was my goal. But I've come to this point now where I'm like, no, it's actually your, your drive to be in ministry and to step into it should be about serving and loving the people around you. Like mm-hmm. less about your platform, less about your status, less about, you know, that, um, and more about the people closest to you, you know, from your family someday, if you choose to have one, um, to the people that might be in the church that you're leading or the ministry that you're a part of or whatever else, if you want to be great as a ministry leader someday, you, you better be okay with serving with everything that you've got. And, um, I think if you keep that mentality and you keep that posture, you don't have to worry about the other stuff. God's Mm -hmm. plans for your life and the path that he set before you, like they're going to work themselves out. And if it, if it results in, you know, a huge uh, uh, digital influence or social media influence, then that's great. But if it doesn't, you're still going to be satisfied and you're still going to be fulfilled because you didn't make it about yourself. You made it about people, which is exactly who Jesus made it about when he came down to this earth 2000 years ago as well. So that's the advice. And I'm giving that advice saying I'm learning it right now. Like in my own life, it's something that, that this year in 2021 and and some things have been revealed to me about my own personal leadership over the past year and all the pandemic and crisis has a way of doing that. That I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I need to check my heart in that. Or I need to check my motives or I need to make sure that I'm, I'm putting the people around me first and not my own priorities or aspirations or whatever else. So it's good to dream big. I, I, I'm a dreamer for sure. Um, you know, the influence thing is it's not a bad desire to have that because you want to spread the good news of who Jesus is. Like that's a that's a gift and you should want it. But my hope is that you would never allow those things to overshadow the importance of service and sacrifice mm-hmm. for the good of other people. So that's what yeah, I'd say. For sure. That's amazing. That was so good. That that was awesome. All right. Last well, last question you can head out. You're I know you're a big shoe guy. Shane, what's your favorite pair of shoes? Oh man. Oh man. I love the off-white Jordan ones. Um, I like the reds, like the baby blues are cool too. The, the Carolina blues or, uh, whatever they are, but mm. I love that sneaker. I do. This is like a weird though. Like, so that's like out here now, affordable pair. Um, <laughs> I got a pair, I got a pair of, of fear God raids for Christmas, mm. um, from, from my wife. And I love that as like an everyday sneaker. Like I love the fear of God sneakers, mm. the Nike ones. I don't know let's, how I feel about the Adidas go. thing. You have them on? <laughs> no, no. I'm wearing oh, some okay. Adidas four two four sneakers right now. <laughs> oh wow, You're going against the Nike brand. I see how it is. <laughs> I still like. See, that's another thing out here that matters out here. I'm like, I'm like, I like a good shoe, no matter who it's from. So yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I remember, I remember like one of the first times I was at GCIO, I had on a Heat hoodie you know, like the heat ATL store and Mm -hmm. Shane walked up to me and was like, 
is that like that secret store in Atlanta? I was like, I know. <laughs> like it, it was like, it might be. Sneaker connect here, man. Like well, no, it, it was just wild. It was wild. Yeah. I was like, Oh man, like this is sick. This guy just like preached about Jesus. And now we're talking about shoes. This is pretty cool. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Preachers and sneakers. That's a whole nother podcast, man. We can- <laughs> we'll still say that one for oh, next time. You come on. <laughs> I, I like, I, I like it. I, I, I am. Yeah. I'm not like over the top with sneakers. I'm not somebody who has like a thousand pairs. But I've like got my four or five that I'm like, I really want those shoes. So yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Hey, Shane, before we for go, on, man. Oh, I want to say something about you all. Thank you all for leading out, for leading your peers, and for being uh, an incredible example for other people. Like the fact that you're resourcing and opening these types of conversations. Um, you're guys that you know I have and can learn from myself, and um, I'm grateful to know you all, and grateful that more and more people are getting to hear conversations that are led by you. You have no idea who you might be setting up for the future. You know, I know that's the case in, in your, your lives. Like you're going to, you're going to impact and have significant impact and influence um, for years and years to come. I really believe that um, especially as your, as your character stays strong, but you might be setting somebody up who may change the world on a large scale or may change the world for one person that they impact. And that is, uh, a worthy pursuit so shout out yeah. to you all thanks for leading so well and being a great example for so many people thanks man that means a lot we appreciate it yeah it really does shane thanks for being on man hope to thanks have you on me. again soon and uh yeah it was a it. blast thanks thanks appreciate oh, yeah. you letting me be a part yes sir of course Cheers. man thanks for your wisdom we all know you and respect you Oh, what did you think about it, bro? Dude, that was awesome. I I love Shane. Shane has so much like great wisdom and insight. And one, I'm just blessed to know him. And then also I'm just so grateful that he like came on the podcast to just share some of that. What about yeah. you? No, I thought it was amazing. He like he delivers things in like a way that's so like wise and knowledgeable, but he's just so relatable and so understanding. Um I really, really, really love this conversation yeah well we hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as we did um if you're listening to this and you enjoyed and maybe laughed a few times we hope you did go give it five stars go follow us on spotify go share this with your friends we're available on every platform and if you're not already go follow us on instagram at deeper than podcast our dms are always open so if you have any questions maybe if you want to be on the podcast hey hit us up we might just let you that's good stuff man so definitely thanks for thanks for listening thanks for making it all the way through and uh have a great week cheers all right now for the outro all right ready yep well that was good no we're not (laughs) no